0: Alright, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Peak Speaks podcast. This is run by the Peak Newspaper in collaboration with CGSF 90.1 FM Burnaby. I'll be hosting the episode today. My name is Nicole. I'm a fourth year sociology student here at SFU and I'm also the opinions editor for the Peak Newspaper.
1: My name is Paul. I am a fifth year history major uh, that started out in the sciences and quickly abandoned it for books. Uh, I am currently the news editor at The Peak. And uh, my name's Kyle and uh, I'm a fifth year
2: physics major at uh, Simon Fraser and uh, I currently work as the outreach staff member at the Trotty Observatory and a council member of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada.
0: Awesome. So that should lead in a little bit to what we're talking about today. Uh, Pluto There was recently a debate uh, held in Washington, D.C. about possibly um, reinstating Pluto as our ninth planet. So I don't know about how, how you guys feel about this. I feel... Tremendous about this. Pluto's I feel a lot of nostalgia for
2: that too. Yeah, very I want, close I to my planet heart. again.
0: <laughs> so, an April 29th debate held in Washington, D.C. between Ron Eckers, the former president of the International Astronomical Union, and Alan Stern, the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission. Uh, they debated the definition of a planet. Ron Eckers uh, represented the argument that Pluto should not be an actual planet, but a dwarf planet based on the criteria uh, agreed upon by the IAU, the International Astronomical Union. And Alan Stern, the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission, disagrees and believes that Pluto should be a planet based on its planetary composition, not its location in the solar system. So just so people understand, uh, Kyle, could you let us know a little bit about the difference between a planet and a dwarf planet?
2: So, yeah, so a planet is uh, further discussed that uh, it is lar- it has cleared its orbit of debris because we're still currently under the definition by the IAU. Uh, so it has cleared its orbit of debris. Uh, it orbits the sun and it is large enough that it's pulled itself into sphere. Uh, And a dwarf planet just either fills uh, or doesn't fill all of the criteria. It only fills maybe one or two.
0: And Mm -hmm. that's regardless of size? Uh,
2: Well, the main one that it has to fulfill is is it's big enough to pull itself into a sphere because there's actually a dwarf planet in uh, the asteroid belt named uh, Ceres, C-E-R-E-S, that is it's in the asteroid belt, so it hasn't cleared its orbit, it's, but it's big enough to pull itself into a sphere, and it orbits the sun. So that's two of the three. Um, and then there's Eris, which is also a dwarf planet that's farther than Pluto. Again, hasn't cleared its orbit, but large enough to be a sphere and orbits the sun. So it's the clearing of the orbit. That's the big. This that's the big one. So yeah, it's clearing this orbit. It's a very shady definition, and it really there's a lot of gray area in that definition.
0: All right, so um, we are talking about Pluto, and basically this debate that happened. I don't know if you actually listened to it at all. You did. I saw it. Yeah. The whole two hours and forty minutes of it. Well, skip to the important parts a little bit,
2: but um, probably I said or watched. Probably a good hour, an hour and 15 minutes of it, yeah.
0: yeah. So. Admittedly, I skipped a lot of the introduction because it was a, a lot of rolling out of titles, which mm-hmm. was um, yeah. way over my head. So obviously, I'm not a science person. I'm a social science person. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about what the uh, International Astronomical Union is, Kyle?
2: Yeah, so they're just a group of people, mostly PhDs and educators and, uh, and some... Um, Some linguists in there as well. So they keep track of kind of all the discoveries made, and also they're kind of responsible for the big names that are attached to these because most big discoveries will have, in terms of planets, which is what they were mostly doing, was uh, to name them after uh, Roman gods and some Greek gods as well. And um, also, if there's a potential discovery, they usually name it after the person that discovered it. So mostly that's what they're, mostly that's what they do.
0: Yeah. And the New Horizons mission is the mission that sent a, a probe to circle around Pluto and get us those nice images of the heart. And um, Sharon is the moon?
2: Sharon is the moon, yeah. And actually it flew by Pluto. Mm. Uh, and actually the one of the uh, more recent discoveries is that they flew by uh, Ultima Thule, which was kind of on the way for New Horizons to go out of the solar system and uh, flew by this asteroid and it's... Uh, It's pretty cool. Two lobes, but they didn't circle They just uh, flew by it and took as many pictures as they can.
0: (laughs) Was that part of the New Horizons or was that incidental?
2: That was kind of incidental, actually. When they were planning this, they were planning to fly by Pluto. And then they were thinking, okay, what's kind of in the way as it's going by? And it wasn't until the um, New Horizons was en route. I think it was probably around Jupiter at this time, but they kind of discovered this object that, uh, was kind of past Pluto and they were rushing to actually get its orbital trajectory so that maybe it lies along the, uh, on the way for New Horizons to run into. So it was kind of really hastily, uh, drawn up that they, they, they could do this and they did it, which was fantastic. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So just so our listeners are aware, um, Pluto was demoted from the ninth planet in 2006. And that was because it didn't fulfill the three principal, what would you say?
2: Criteria or something. Criteria
0: of what a planet should be. And that's, it has to be round. Yes. It has to have cleared its orbit. Yes. And what's the third one? I always forget this one. Uh,
2: It has to orbit the sun.
0: Has to orbit the sun. Well, Pluto's got that in the bag.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So um, the... uh, the one that's really causing a lot of the debate is the clearing... Well, orbiting the sun is one of them, because that's mm-hmm. kind of a gray area. But the really big one was has to have cleared its orbit, because it's you can't really define that, really. Because if you think about it, Earth is actually constantly being hit by rocks and meteorites as well. It's just they're so small, we don't really see them. And even the big ones, there's always news reports that there's a big asteroid going by. So... If you think about it, you know, Earth doesn't fulfill this as well because it hasn't cleared its orbit, whatever that means. So um, that's the one that's really, that always got the, uh, at least the scientific community, really kind of questioning the IAU's decision on this.
0: And that was Mm -hmm. Alan Stern's argument as well.
2: Yes. So um, we'll we'll
0: get into the, um, the actual substance of the debate in a little bit. But first of all, I wanted to ask... So as a member of um, the millennial generation, we were about the last generation to grow up with Pluto as our ninth planet. We we hold this very dear to our hearts, obviously. And I just want to ask, where were you when Pluto was demoted?
2: Oh, jeez, It was like 2006. So I was grade six at the time. So in elementary school, I was kind of learning about all the planets. And then in middle school, it just got demoted. I'm going... Well, at the time, you know, being a little old grade six, I didn't really pay attention that much. I was going, okay, okay, so it doesn't affect me right now. But then when I got into later in middle school and high school, when I started to figure out that astronomy was really cool, I'm going, okay, I want it back as a planet. So, yeah, <laughs> it was it was kind of middle school that, that this happened.
1: So, How about you, Paul? <laughs> yeah, like Kyle. I was also in grade six. And at the time... I also didn't really pay attention to it, but it did come up in uh, in grade 9, and, you know, it's a, a bit of a story. Um, we were doing class presentations on all the planets, and, of course, uh, no one wanted to do Uranus. They wanted to do Pluto because, you know, being juvenile and immature, <laughs> doing a presentation on Uranus uh, was difficult, to say the least. But because Pluto had been demoted quite recently, it was no longer an option. So, oh, they uh, took that off the table for was you? It off the table for me, and I was stuck doing a presentation in Ms. Lehman's Science 9 class on Uranus instead of Pluto.
0: Oh, no. So
1: I, too, would love to have Pluto back as a planet.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that story so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember feeling just this profound sense of shock. Like there's something missing in my life. Even as I said, not as a science person. This was something you grow up with as a kid, you know? You learn there are nine planets, you have an asteroid belt. I mean, in elementary school we don't learn about like the Kuiper belt or the Oort cloud at all. Obviously that's that's kind of out of out of the range, but Pluto. Pluto was was the one way out there, the mystery planet, the the tiny little well, dwarf planet now, but our our tiny little buddy out there in space sending us hearts, apparently. Um, So I feel like the demotion of Pluto really kind of affected the millennial psyche especially, among other things, obviously, but we lost something that day, I feel. And um, I want to talk a little bit about why why this planet was demoted um, from the substance of the debate. So as you mentioned, the International Astron- Astronomical Union does hold the privilege of naming new things um, as, as they're discovered. It, does that include all objects or just planets?
2: If Well, mostly just planets. For all objects, usually the naming goes to the discoverer. Mm. But in terms of like planetoids and maybe some asteroids as well, that's where I think they come in and do the uh, naming. But I'm not quite sure about that detail,
0: okay. unfortunately. Okay. So with Pluto as a dwarf planet now, does that mean that Pluto has been excluded from our solar system? Is it just another bit of space junk that's floating <laughs> around? Is that, is that the conclusion that the International Astronomical Union no. came to? <laughs>
2: no it's uh it's still part of the solar system but um in terms of the planets it you know it's it, Uranus is the last planet in the in the solar system but um when astronomers talk about pluto they will just subconsciously say planet mm. all the time they won't say the dwarf planet pluto you know it's it's what they grew up with right because pluto's uh, a planet in their eyes, right? And actually, that's an interesting thing. Where um, I think we'll probably get into this later. But the um, the GPD, which is the geophysical planetary definition,
0: mm-hmm.
2: has it labeled differently. Mm-hmm. Where it, instead of three, it has two criteria. Where it has it has to orbit the sun, or sorry, not orbit. The sun, uh, it has to pull itself into a round shape,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and as well, it has to. It big enough to pull itself into a round shape but not big enough that nuclear fusion starts to take place in mm-hmm. its core because mm-hmm. that will classify it as a star mm-hmm. instead of a planet right so this is where it gets a little loose and um and in astronomers eyes they usually follow th- these definitions and they'll just subconsciously say it's a planet you know and then maybe and you know uh, official things they will They'll stop at Uranus when naming the planets. They'll say the dwarf planet Pluto, but just say, oh, casually, they'll probably just say the planet Pluto. And mm-hmm. just, it's in passing. Yeah. But uh, still part of the solar system.
0: <laughs> uh, talking a little bit about um, like the geophysical properties of a planet, I feel that that was um, uh, Stern's strongest point in the debate was that we have very particular geophysical definitions for stars. Why are we relying on what might be surrounding a planet as its definition? So could you speak a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So along with what Alan has said, I'll kind of, you know, paraphrase him a little bit. So he talked about there's glaciers on Pluto, there's mountain ranges, and there's ice flows, avalanches, all that kind of thing. And it even has an atmosphere, you know, and as what Alan said, if you're on Star Trek on the bridge and go to Pluto, you would instantly think it's a planet and not any other object like a star or even an asteroid or something. But, um, yeah, it has all these properties that were just disco- being discovered now with New Horizons flying by. So it is as much as a planet as all the other planets in the solar system. It's just, it's class. the IAU classifies it due to its location. You know, orbiting the sun, clearing its debris. The size is what both agree on, because that's pretty definite. Because then you'll label asteroids as planets, but yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: that mean there are way too many. But um, yeah, so the IAU classifies it onto location. And again, Alan Stern, he mentioned a good example where uh, everything else in science labels objects by their characteristics, like animals you know, are different from than plants Mm -hmm. because animals are living, breathing, interacting with their environment. Um, When plants are usually, you know, stationary, they're green, they have leaves and foliage, all that kind of stuff where animals don't have that. And they're not classified due to its location. So this is, that was a really good strong point for Alan, labeling the characteristics of the planet. And these definitions are due to what the object is and not due to its location.
0: Mm So how do we address then the kind of uh, participation award idea of well if we give pluto status back we have to give everything pluto like planetary status i mean would that be almost tantamount to the same the same thing for our generation where instead of only having eight planets suddenly we have 23 planets as you mentioned to me earlier paul mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so that's that's the other kind of little nitpick with the GPD definition is now you have the moon is a planet because it pull itself into a sphere and it's not a star. And you have all the other moons, a Jupiter, Titan, or uh, rather um, Saturn, and any other moons orbiting even Pluto itself. Charon is a planet as well. So then you have this long list of names that you have to memorize for planets. Now... That was um, Ron's point, saying you have all these names and it's going to be hard to teach that to the younger generation. But then uh, Alan countered that with saying that, oh, well, there's 50 states in the United States that people can easily recall and even just the number of countries on Earth, people memorize those as well. So this is something, and elements on the periodic table, so these are all things that we are able to memorize.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just that, you know, if you're willing to do it, then you are able to do it. So,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so mm-hmm. moving a little bit away from the debate now, um, <laughs> we've all come together because we share an interest in uh, planetary science and the stars. So um, I want to ask Paul uh, where, where this interest comes from you.
1: Uh, Personally, this interest sort of in in space and celestial bodies is directly tied to my father. Um, He specializes in black hole research, so his his field of study is a little different than a Pluto debate, but uh, it's always been interesting looking up at the stars in that space. And also, a huge component to this, undeniably, Star Trek growing up and watching and wanting to be, you know, on the bridge with Captain Kirk and exploring these planets and interacting and finding, you know, alien life and, you know, it, it looked really cool. Uh, so, you know, looking up at the stars and imagining myself being you know, on the Enterprise uh, as a kid was really something uh, that I enjoyed, um, yeah.
0: And just because I have to ask, did your father also have strong feelings about the demotion of Pluto?
1: I've been asking him all week on this subject, and even this mo- up to this morning. Um, and he said he had no strong feelings either way. Very adamant, he was very ambivalent about the thing. Uh, in fact, he threw Shakespeare at me uh, as the last words. Uh, what is in a name?
0: That's a, oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Okay. How about yourself, Kyle?
2: Well, yeah, it's kind of I can see the reasoning for both sides, right? It's just the kind of the, just being my generation, the bias comes in with I grew, it, grew up with it being a planet, right? Mm. So I would like it to be a planet. And I can understand the, both sides to trying to define it. And that's where the concluding part of the, uh, of the debate was, where this is, that's, this is what science is, is we debate these ideas and topics and share them with each other and improve each other both. And it's a constantly evolving field. It's not mm. a static field. Field, right yeah. it's changing and we're in just a really great time in, in our lives where we're actually witnessing all these classifications and definitions come into place and we're even contributing to it as well mm-hmm. with citizen scientists all over the internet and um, and of course with people wanting in terms of Pluto wanting Pluto back as a planet as well so constantly evolving and this is just a great time to be involved
0: in science Absolutely, and speaking of all these new discoveries that are that are um, being made in this field, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the theoretical mysterious planet Planet X. And I'm not the expert on this, so I'm I'm going to defer to you in, in a bit, Kyle. We'll try my best. <laughs> this this planet is theorized based on the way um, Uranus's orbit is affected by some kind of gravitational anomaly that we are unable to see yet.
2: Yeah, so yes, so that's close. Um, Not quite Uranus, because actually that's how Pluto was discovered, Mm -hmm. was Uranus was undergoing this kind of, this, not a wobble, but it kind of like it was tugged Mm -hmm. in its orbit. And actually, that's how Uranus was discovered, because Neptune displayed this behavior. Interesting. That's how Uranus was discovered in 1876 or something. Uh, But yeah, so Clyde Tombaugh discovered Pluto because he thought he observed this phenomenon and uh, accidentally discovered Pluto. But yeah, so not quite Uranus, but uh, actually other planetoids that are a little little farther out in the solar system. Mm -hmm. There's this one dwarf planet uh, named Sedna Mm -hmm. that's actually... It it takes almost uh, I think it was close to two or three thousand years for it to make one loop around the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sedna and a few other now they have like the year that was to, the names of these objects or the year that they were discovered and like some initials that I can't recall right now. But there are some other planetoids as well that are be displaying this information or phenomenon almost almost at the exact same point. They're doing this little. something's tugging them, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where the discovery of Planet X or Planet 9, if you exclude Pluto, but um, I never do. I I never do either. (laughs) Yeah, so Planet X, uh, there's this some massive object and massive enough that it can be classified as a planet by the IAU's definition, but um, that seems to be tugging on these objects in around the exact same spot. And this is where there could be a planet X out there, too. So this is where the discovery come from. And I'm super excited to see what the findings are. But uh, it's, a, it's still under uh, investigation,
0: I should say. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you feel about this, Paul? Are we ready for a 10th planet? Because Pluto will always be the ninth planet.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm in full support of as many planets as we can find to incorporate within our solar system. Um, Speaking to the point that we can easily memorize, you know, 50 states, I think we could easily memorize, you know, X number of planets up to like, you know, 50 if need be. So a 10th planet is really cool. And the the fact that it's, you know, being found or uh, theorized using the same methodology that previous planets is, is also really cool from a historical perspective you know, that these try-and-true methods are still applicable, even with all the instruments we have, you know, in the 21st century.
0: Mm. I guess the only, um, the only limit on how many planets we can have are the limit of Greek and Roman gods. Exactly,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the big ones are taken, so yeah. now it's all the, I guess, the little ones. <laughs> all
0: the little, the little gods, the demigods, the heroes of mythology. Exactly. There's still exactly. room for the heroes. Can you actually see Pluto. From the observatory.
2: No. So uh, I think Uranus and Pluto, they're the only two that are so far away that the color, since they're blue in color,
1: mm.
2: a really, really dark blue kind of blends in with the black of the mm-hmm. uh, night sky. So I think those, I think Neptune, we can just barely see. Uh, but definitely Pluto and Uranus are a little too far away for us to see with, uh, with the uh, telescope in the observatory, unfortunately.
0: Oh, that's too bad.
2: I know. I, I want to see them too. Definitely, I want to see them. But uh, we have great photos from New Horizons. So. Yeah, those New I mean,
0: Horizons photos were stunning. I um, yeah. I looked at those just for hours, <laughs> oh, hours. So great. Um, would you like to speak a little bit about what you do at the observatory?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, primarily the observatory was built for outreach events. Uh, and secondary was also for research as well Uh, so the location of it is actually not ideal for an observatory originally it was supposed to be built by the diamond alumni center just up here where it's kind of the buildings are blocking a lot of the light from burnaby Mm -hmm. and definitely there's a lot of shade back there so it provides a darker sky but the thing is It would be a little difficult for people to actually go and find when we have outreach events so instead we put it where it currently is because it's right along the main strip from the bus loop and it sees thousands of people a day Uh, but yeah so we primarily have it for outreach events so we have a lot of high school groups come up and every Friday we have uh, starry nights at least we try to be if the weather is clear Uh, and that's an open free public event where we open the observatory we have members of the RESC come up and uh, with their telescopes and we just have one big star party basically and we do kind of show everyone around outside and everyone gets to look through the telescope usually we look through or we see Jupiter Saturn and uh, maybe if, the, if it's dark enough, we can see uh, M13, Messier 13, which is the Hercules star cluster. And uh, maybe even some nebulae as well. Ooh. So it's really, really cool.
0: Yeah. I've been to one of these events, and I did get to see Saturn and the Rings. Well, Love it. kind of a blur because it was a little far away, but mm-hmm. I did yeah. get to see it. It was a great experience, and I feel that a lot of students don't actually know that they can go to these events. Exactly, yeah. I mean, obviously, the observatory is this big building that... Like you say, everybody passes on their way to the bus. Yeah. But I feel that for a lot of students who aren't necessarily in sciences, aren't necessarily around this environment, they feel maybe a little intimidated, um, yeah. maybe that they don't belong in this space.
2: Yeah, so I can understand where that's coming from, um, definitely. But it also, the, the purpose of the site, I should say, is also to incite curiosity. Mm-hmm. So on the tours that we do, we also mentioned that there are no Plaques on any of the displays that are out there to describe what what it is, and that's to incite your own curiosity. If you want to know what this is about, you come up and ask someone or do your own research and look it up. Right. Um, so the observatory is built to you know it's supposed to catch the eye and go, oh, that's really cool. I wonder if I can go in there. And then you kind of look at Trotty Observatory, and the first thing on Google is the Trotty Observatory website. And at the bottom, it has all our times when we're open for public events. So it's really to incite curiosity, and that's to kind of—it it is a little intimidating, but you just feel so much more gratified that you found out this information yourself, and you're going, I can go to this. Mm-hmm. I can go to this. Is free. This is going to be great, and you get mm-hmm. to see all these stars and all that stuff. So it's it. It's the purpose of the site to really feed your curiosity. Yeah.
0: And the people there are very warm and welcoming. Oh. There's no dumb questions. Everybody is, is so on top of um, helping guests, um, greeting guests, and uh, showing what everything in the Science Plaza actually has to offer. So my advice to students who might be interested in this is just go. Go on one of the Story Nights, Starry Nights events and mm-hmm explore talk to people it's open as you say it's free um and don't feel like the space is closed off to you uh because you might not necessarily be a science kid
2: exactly exactly
0: all right um i think we're just about done here uh does anybody have do do either of you have any closing comments you want to leave us with uh i'm all up for another rah rah pluto um (laughs) pluto will always be my ninth planet no one can ever convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. Ron Eckers has a lot of, of titles and weight behind his name. I disagree with him. Pluto is exactly. definitely a planet, even if, just on a cultural level, Pluto is a planet.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. And well, just close as well. A little shout out for the, uh, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada is um, every second Thursday of the month, uh, we have an open free... Uh, lecture as well, where mm. we have people come in and actually talk about things in their field. So we ask the speakers to kind of frame the lecture so it's it's understandable to everyone. Mm. So it's not a complex lecture where there's lots of physics equations and all this math and stuff where they talk about just the components of the spacecraft or, or you know, some of the basic mechanics of what they do. And it's, it's a great thing we do. So it's every second Thursday of the month.
0: Thank you for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you have any closing thoughts for us, Paul?
1: I think we should start a petition and get Pluto reinstated democratically.
0: (laughs) I agree. Exactly. Let's put this on our next referendum. Hold you to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both very much for coming. Um, Kyle, thank you for taking time out of your day from the observatory to come and meet with us. Thank you. Paul, it's always great working with you. This has been Peak Speaks podcast run by SFU student newspaper, The Peak, in collaboration with CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby.